Well, last week uh, we paused to consider the appendix that we find in the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And we really took time and we considered the reality that if we choose to hold on to sin, and especially the sin of unforgiveness, uh, that it will cause us to cycle in a prison of sins and lose eternal rewards. We considered those things and and uh, ultimately where we were headed and, and my encouragement and hope for you was that you would release those things, forgive people uh, of their sins, that you would walk in a closer intimacy this year with the Lord. The Lord had laid that sermon on my heart for the near year and as such, I really wanted to be uh, obedient in delivering it to you and as I considered our text that we are moving into today, which is in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, we'll continue to truck our way through those, uh, through this wonderful book uh, for instructions for the church. But as I thought about this first paragraph inside of chapter 2, I couldn't help but think of this call to prayer in knowing that unforgiveness cycles us in sin, separates us from God. We considered all those things that we might move forward here now in Timothy knowing that we could move forward in intimacy and that God is hearing our prayers. Amen? It's not as if forgiveness is just going to go away. You do it once a year at the beginning of the year. Certainly, uh, many of you, as I have, have sinned after January 1, 2021. So forgiveness is something to be sought. Intimacy is something to be after in our walk with the Lord with that said, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all good godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at, a, at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this text today, I pray, God, that nothing would hinder us from praying for the lost. Lord, that we would uh, run to you as a, a young boy or a young girl runs to their father with arms in air, knowing, God, that you would receive us. Help us, Lord, to walk in purity. Help us, Lord, to, to hear your word today. Help us, Lord, not to remain in sin. And God, help us to pray for the lost. We'll give you all the glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. While researching 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, one commentator and pastor quoted the 19th century prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who spoke concerning communing with and prayer to our Savior, saying this, The soul winner must be a master at the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you do not go to God yourself. You must get your battle axe and your weapons of war from the armory of sacred communication with Christ. 
If you are much alone with Jesus, you will catch his spirit. You will be fired with the flame that burned in his breast and consumed his life. You will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem when he saw it perishing. And if you cannot speak so eloquently as he did, yet shall there be about what you say somewhat of the same power that which in him thrilled the hearts and awoke the consciences of men. My dear brothers and hearers, especially you members of the church, I always, I am always so anxious lest any of you should begin to lie upon your oars and take things easy in the matters of God's kingdom. There are some of you, I bless you, and I bless God at the remembrance of you who are in season and out of season and in earnest for winning souls. And you are the truly wise. But I fear that there are others whose hands are slack, who are satisfied to let me preach, but do not themselves preach, who take these seats and occupy these pews and hope the cause goes well. But that is all they will do. Beloved, I echo that prayer. I echo that preaching from Charles Spurgeon that we would not be a people who rest on our oars. I also echo the reality that the way that we fuel our lives must be in communion with Christ. There will be a dry deadness to our life if we just go about living religiously, doing the rules, showing up on Sunday, coming to Sunday school, but we do not commune with our Creator. We should never expect that we will uh, reach a world if we ourselves do not spend time with the one who loves and has forgiven us. Beloved, we've been working our way through 1 Timothy and just completed chapter 1. We have seen that the situation of which the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write is that, Paul's ab- that in Paul's absence at Ephesus, there is some jockeying going on for who would lead the church at Ephesus. Complicating that situation are two different religious schools of thought vying for the direction and the doctrine of the church. The first is found in chapter 1, verse 3. There before you, Paul does not give this school of thought a title. He just calls it strange doctrine. Letting us know that this is not a religiously thought or a Jewish religious type of school, but something that is more rooted in Gentile thought. It may be that the Apostle John was concerned about these same types of doctrine as he's writing in his epistles just a few years later. The early leanings of Gentile philosophy gave rise to what we now call and know and can study as Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis and is most often translated as knowledge in your Bibles. Therefore, the Gnostics taught that spiritual elitism, uh, this spiritual elitism propounding that those who attain this mystical, secret, higher knowledge would be the only ones who would ever enter heaven. Whatever the strange doctrines were, they were not sound Christian doctrines. They were dangerous and certainly leading people astray in the church. The second complication facing the church was a group of men 
called Judaizers, this heretical group affirmed that obedience to the law would save a person from eternal judgment. These false teachers show up, as you know, all over in the scripture, nearly every epistle. It's as if Paul would plant a church and they would come right behind him and undo the things that he taught, teach false doctrines, heresies, that you could earn your way to heaven, that unless you were exclusively Jewish and came, in, uh, came into the church, even as a Jew, you would never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Both of these doctrines were leading people to destroy their faith, and they were becoming shipwrecked, as we saw in the last verses of chapter 1. It is likely from a time frame aspect, this is after the 28th chapter of Acts, and it is after Paul's second Roman imprisonment. He had returned to the church in Ephesus, of which he had spent nearly three years, and then on and off different places, probably to cast out, as we have seen there in the latter verses of chapter 1, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were false teachers leading many astray. God's resolution to the problem is to leave Timothy as the church's pastor teacher. We see this in verse 3. He is to remain on at Ephesus. And later in verses 18 and 19, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. And for what? Verse 19, in the keeping of faith and a good conscience. So friends, the Spirit inspired Paul writes to establish leadership in the church because heretical teaching was spreading and shipwrecking people's faith. Timothy's leadership is the resolution. And now we enter into the body of the letter where the apostle will give in specific instructions for the church. Notice there that first language. First of all. First of all, then, First Timothy starts. The word getting translated then is the Greek word un and can be translated as therefore. The New King James and the King James do this. Anytime we see therefore, we need to consider what it is therefore. And as I have already said, the heresies being taught inside the Ephesian church were exclusivism. Although we don't understand what's going on with the Gentiles, what the strange doctrine was, we certainly have a better feel for what the Judaizers uh, are doing and uh, attempting to accomplish. And whatever they were saying and doing clearly was not uh, creating an atmosphere where all men were being prayed for. And certainly they were rejecting the reality that Christ had died, listen, for all men. The Holy Spirit had instructed Timothy, and by extension, you and I, we'll see today to pray on behalf of all men, because God desires all men to be saved. In light of that, we are to be praying. There are seven different words in the New Testament for prayer that get translated prayer in different ways, four of which Paul is going to use right here in your text. The apostle says, I urge that entreaties, I urge that entreaties. Sometimes entreaties is translated supplications or requests. It speaks of a person's need. 
basic life-sustaining things like food, water, and shelter. The next word is prayers. It's prosuke. It is, is the most common word for prayer, and it most often reflects the idea of coming to God and giving him what he deserves, and that is glory. The next term for prayer is petitions, or what we often call them intercessions. Intercessions for all men, right, come from a heart of love for all people that we uh, would not want to see God judge them. We intercede on their behalf. We beg the Lord to save them. There are example after example in your Bibles of these types of prayers. Moses coming down from the mountain will see the golden calf and the idolatry that has risen up already in the nation of Israel and he will fall on his face and he will grind the tablets down to dust and he will pray an eloquent prayer begging God who is angry, so angry that he has said to Moses that he will destroy the nation. And Moses begs the Lord, Lord, save them. Lord, forgive them. Intercessions. Samuel called it a sin not to continue to pray for the nation. Jeremiah would beg the Lord over and over and over that the nation would repent and and follow after Christ, that they may not be uh, exiled and their nation not be destroyed by Babylon intercessions, petitions. The last word being used to describe all kinds of prayer is the word thanksgiving. No matter what occurs, the Christian, as we come to the Lord and we beg for people's salvation and we pray that God would feed uh, the poor and heal the sick and do all that only God can do, we come to God with thanksgivings. Our heart is only that we would walk away and say, Lord, regardless of that situation, however you see fit to make that happen, Lord, you get the glory. Beloved, we need to offer prayers for needs, prayers for God to receive glory, prayers of intercession for those who will not cry out to God themselves, and we need to be ready to offer prayers of thanks regardless of the outcome. And to whom are we to express those prayers towards? They are to be made on behalf of, look there, all men. There's a theme I have pointed out here to you as I even read the text that all is is inclusive. It means all inclusive. Paul uses the word all eight times in the next 11 verses of this chapter. It is certainly a theme. It is certainly something that uh, is not being taught by the false teachers. The Greek word for all is pasa or pon. All is not a word that we often stop to ponder, simply because when we hear it, we know it to be the opposite of none of, right? Or little, or none, or nobody, or nothing. However, its synonyms are extensive. Being, each of, each one of the, every, every one of the, every single, every single one of the, each and every, the whole of the, Every bit of the complete, the complete, entire, the entire, total, the totality of the, in its entirety, full, utter, perfect, all out, greatest, possible, maximum, 
everyone, everybody, each and every person, the lot, the whole lot, each one, each thing, the sum, the total, everything, every part, the whole amount, the total amount, the entirety, the sum total, the aggregate. Paul is going to use all throughout this text to drive it in. The reality that Christ died for all men. We are to pray for the lost. We are to pray for all men. We are to pray for the saved. And we are to pray for the unsaved. It's easy for us, brethren, right? As we get to know each other and love each other and interact with each other's lives that the Holy Spirit would remind us of the things that are going on in each other's lives. We certainly purposefully do small groups for that very reason. It's the main point of prayer for our church, that we would come together, know each other well, and pray for one another. And it is one thing to pray for one another, and we certainly should be. We are part of the all that God is talking about. It is a different thing, however, to pray for the lost. We see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 for, through 45 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous beloved. God loves his creation. And all of creation fell in Adam, and all of creation can be redeemed in Christ. The price that was paid is for all. Amen? It is the will of God that we as Christians love and pray for our enemies. It's interesting here that the Spirit of God singles out a group of people from all of the all, the politicians. Prayer is to be made on behalf of all men, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. If you know much about this time of which this letter is being written, You'll know that from A.D. 54 to 68, Rome's emperor was a man named Nero. He was a man who was a morally wicked man who persecuted the church with great intensity. He was outwardly a homosexual in his relationships, which likely caused his great hatred for anything Jewish or Christian. Although he denied it, nearly all historians believe and record that Nero had the fire of A.D. 64 started, which engulfed Rome for six days, destroying nearly 70% of the city and leaving half of its population, an estimated 200,000 people homeless. Nero was conveniently out of town and blamed the Christians for the fire, which then led to widespread persecution. Certainly, of those kings and all who were in authority who would be difficult to pray for, the Spirit of God here through Paul would say to us, to them, pray for those who are in authority.
Why would God want Christians to pray for all and especially for the lost authorities of the world so that they may, look there in your text, lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity? Tranquil, quiet, godly, and dignified are the qualities of life that God desires for the church. We pray for our leaders so that during our sojourn on this earth, we could lead godly and dignified lives. Beloved, we live in such politically explosive times. There are times in which uh, uh, I have certainly never experienced as an American that are going on right now. There is nothing short of an attack on any Judeo-Christian value or any other religious value or ideology that would even believe that there is such thing as a man and a woman. There's nothing short of an attack on these values on anyone who would hold to a, a Judeo-Christian value. We have traditionally been protected as, uh, uh, as other religious views have by the First Amendment of the Constitution. In 2019 and 20, publicly funded primary, secondary, and higher education schools in our state have put policies in place requiring students and teachers to identify their, by their preferred pronouns or gender as they introduce themselves into the classroom. It's going on in public schools in both Albany and Laramie County. Required diversity training in Laramie and Albany counties for faculty and staff have, uh, uh, are, is now required, and they are being told that they must refer to people as to whatever that pronoun is. They're taking our state-funded people. They were ta- they're taking them in. They're saying that you must do this. You must break your own conscience, your own religious beliefs about male and female, and you must affirm somebody in what they want. For the Bible, conscience, the, the, the conscience of the individual is so important. We must be alarmed by all of this teaching and all of this pressure that is going on in our system and is happening and is coming down. Uh, Our our leaders are are being pressured to put this in and some of them are thoughtful and pushing back. Others are like, whatever, why does it matter? Beloved, it matters. It's an attack on, on how we think It's an attack on our ability to worship God. It's an attack on our conscience that we would have to call somebody something that they are not. It's an attack on the, and a violation of the freedom of speech. In April 2018, the state of California passed California Assembly Bill 2943. The bill passed 50 to 18 and went on to the state. The bill looked to expand the 2011 bill from those uh, 18 and under to adults and proposed that no paid individual other than mental health providers could counsel someone in sexual orientation change efforts. Although the bill made no reference to religious practice, it would clearly affect anyone who held to or taught traditional gender as the standard. Concerning this, in April 2018, there was an article written in The Federalist by Robert 
Gagnon, writing uh, to review the independence, so to say, fact-checker Snopes, and he wrote this, Consequently, selling religious or secular books, i.e. pamphlets, videos, audios, etc., holding conferences, teaching courses in a uh, college or seminary where tuition is paid, giving a speech at a paid venue, counseling people for a fee, or perhaps even posting online articles in a site that requires a paid subscription in which it is asserted in whole or part that it is morally wrong for people to engage in homosexual practice or identify as gay or transgender, all could be treated as a violation of California Assembly Bill 2943. No seminary can teach biblical sexuality. No seminary can teach gender. You would be prosecuted under that law. Why in the world would the Spirit of God incline Paul to take from the all command and add in this important topic of all of the leaders, all kings, all of those who are in authority. He knows that there is no way that we will live a tranquil and quiet life able to preach the gospel to other people if our leaders are wicked, driving out and making that which we believe illegal. In plain words, the problem is preach the Bible, but preach the Bible, get prosecuted. The Apostle Paul, living in uh, turbulent political times, exhorts the church to pray for the lost, especially those in authority, so that we may lead these tranquil and quiet, quiet lives. Where God, the Holy Spirit, exhorts the church to pray for the lost, he now gives us the reason why we should do so. It says in verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Beloved, why would we pray for all the lost? One, that they would be saved. Two, that there would not be uh, authorities and governments telling us that we could not preach the gospel. Certainly, that's not going to bind up the gospel. It's not going to uh, take a look at, at, at many nations who have made the Bible illegal or, or no church assemblies. They, certainly, God is not chained by those laws. The, the gospel goes forth. People get saved. But it is certainly here, God's will, that we could live and lead and move within a free world, tranquil, quietly, and preaching the gospel. Why? Because he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Spirit of God confirms that praying for all men with all kinds of prayer is good and acceptable to God our Savior, who is identified as having two desires in the text before you, that all people would be saved and that all people would come to the knowledge of the truth. First, the clear reality that God desires all men to be saved should not be refuted. The reformers, in their effort to develop a means for biblical interpretation, coined a phrase called, and we still use it today, the analogy of faith. It was a method that essentially affirmed that Scripture should 
should be interpre- interpreted excuse me, by Scripture. And it was especially to be used where more obscure texts of Scripture were to be clarified by those that were more clear. Inasmuch as, uh, as that it is important, and it is an important method of understanding systems of theology, sometimes the finite, sin-stained human mind attempts to make systems out of topics that cannot be married in our minds. There are some that come to this text and say, if God is sovereign, and he is, then this means God is going to save all men. It says, does it not? He desires all men to be saved. And if God is sovereign and God is all power, then certainly it says here that he desires all men to be saved. And if God is in control of all things, then all men will be saved. That is wrong. It's a universalist idea. We certainly understand uh, the, the major problem with that, the, with that text is that Jesus says that all men will not be saved. In fact, many will spend eternity in hell being punished eternally. Others come to this text with their systems of theology firmly in place between their Bibles and themselves. Specifically, oftentimes, uh, uh, what we refer to as the doctrines of grace, which teach that Christ's death only atoned for the elect. So they force the word elect into this text and like uh, and others like it, stating God desires all the elect to be saved. Unfortunately, those folks take a very clear text and make it muddy, actually the opposite of what the Reformers wanted and desired for the analogy of faith. The text could not be any clearer. God our Savior desires all men to be saved. The text does not stand alone in the scripture. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John 4, 14, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The apostle continues in his gospel stating that Jesus died on the cross that he might draw all men to himself saying in John 12, 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And of course, the most quoted and known scripture of the New Testament, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Speaking of God's desire for all men to be saved, Peter gives us some insight into why God has not come back to judge humanity. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Beloved, in John Calvin's commentary on this verse in 2 Peter, he wrote this. This is his wondrous love towards the human race, that he desires all men to be saved and is prepared to bring 
even the perishing to safety. We must notice that the order that God is prepared to receive all men into repentance so that none may perish. These words indicate the means of obtaining salvation. And whoever of us seeks salvation must learn to follow in his way. Friends, hear me out. According to some Calvinists today, John Calvin himself is not a Calvinist. Let that sink in. Before you accept theological terms and certainly before you accept any type of lens that sits between you and your Bible, take the time, study it out, think, pray. God will help you. Beloved, I adore the doctrine of election. I adore the doctrine of foreknowledge and predestination. Why? Because God's word clearly teaches them. However, God clearly teaches here that we should pray for the lost because God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? The gospel. The good news. Multiple times, Paul uses throughout the pastoral epistles, the word truth, it is always in reference to the fullness of the faith, the truth, the gospel. So not only does he desire all men to be saved, but he desires for them to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul says here, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. who gave himself a ransom, notice here, circle it in your text, for all. The testimony given at the proper time. Beloved, in God's great love for humanity, to redeem back that, that which was lost at the garden, he does so in the most endearing way. He himself comes, he Christ comes in the form of a man, pays the price for all sinners. Some might run in this and even accuse me here in this text of saying, what are you saying, Carl? Then, then a man is to save himself. No, but you are certainly required to respond to the gospel in faith. We might argue about where that faith comes from. Certainly, God created everything. So in that general sense, we know that God created faith, didn't he? All perfect gifts, all things that are perfect come down from the Father above. But somehow in the word faith, what God does mixes and marries with what his spirit is doing and who he is saving and who he is elect. And in that marriage of things, it's very difficult for the finite mind to try to understand. It always surprises me, those who are, are, are strong, I would say even extreme Calvinists to the point of double predestination, things like that. Uh, the reason that they are coming to the conclusions that they are coming to is because they believe in their finite, totally depraved minds <laughs> that they're going to come to the knowledge of the mystery of how God in eternity is operating in finite time. We might just step back for a moment. 
Let the text say what it says. Love people well. Pray for people. Pray for the lost. Share the gospel. It's what we know. God chooses. God elects. Certainly it's around the idea of men being humble, women being humble. As James would say, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you're in here this morning and you have not responded to the gospel, it is the purpose of this text that you would understand that that there is uh, one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Many of us would know those who are a part of Roman, the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church, as it's often called. And we know that in those doctrines that they have affirmed and believed throughout the years, that you would pray to Mary, you would pray to some kind of saint, you would receive a saint after your, after your confirmation. Here's our text. There is one person who can mediate between the sinful man and God himself. It is the man, Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all. If you're sitting here this morning, you need to recognize your sin before God. Certainly God loves you. He loves the world. He has offered his son for you. But you need to respond in faith. Believe that Christ came. Believe that he lived the life that you would never be able to live. Believe that he was put on the cross on your behalf. Believe that God rose him from the dead and you will be saved. Amen. Paul says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. Interesting note here, right? (laughs) I'm not lying. I love to just slow down and think about Paul. What an interesting personality. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Beloved, given in giving instructions for the church, the Lord has exhorted us to pray for all men because he desires them to be saved and to know the truth. Where the Gnostics said that the person could attain to some kind of higher knowledge and be, be saved from God's wrath, and the Judaizers said that uh, one must follow the law uh, in order to be saved from God's wrath. And both of them were not praying for the lost because both of them were so exclusive in their faith. Often happens in extreme Calvinism. People quit, quit praying. People quit sharing the gospel. Because they're so stuck on the idea that God is going to do what he's going to do. Why would I do anything? Why wouldn't you end up there? That exclusivism is not taught in the scripture. We are encouraged, we are exhorted to share the gospel because Christ died for all men. The Holy Spirit instructed Timothy, and by extension, you and I, to pray on behalf of all of these men and women. Beloved, let us recognize that the soul winner must be a master at the art of prayer. That we cannot bring souls to God if we do not go to God ourselves. We must get our battle axe and our weapons of war from the armory of the sacred communication with Christ. If we are much alone with Jesus, we will catch his spirit. We will be fired with the flame that burned in his breast and consumed his life. We will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem when he saw it perishing.
Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text that you have put before us today and the great reminder, God, to pray for our nation. Pray for those we love, Lord, and we know both in the church and out of the church. And Lord, we take this moment to pray and pray for our nation. God, we pray for our current president, Lord, that you would draw him near and that you would bring him to repentance and all the heirs of his life, Lord, that he does not know him, Lord, that you would save him. God, we pause for a moment to pray for President-elect Biden and Vice President Harris. God, we pray that you and you alone uh, can reach the cold, dead human heart. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them near, that, that uh, you would save them, Lord, that we might live a quiet and tranquil life. And regardless of that outcome, Lord, I, I pray that you give us the boldness, the love, the unity, and the power, Lord, to go on preaching the gospel that you would raise up uh, men and women inside the church who uh, have put their faith in you and and they're not living, Lord, in the fear of the outcomes of such elections as these. Lord, we pray for our governor, our senators, all our legislators. God, would you save them? we might see you glorified on this earth in 2021. Lord, we'll give you all the glory. All God's people said, amen.